0: Uh, Father, thank you uh, that uh, thank you, Father, that we can meet in the presence of Jesus, and uh, and think about His Word. We acknowledge before you, Father, that uh, Jesus is the it's Jesus' Word. Uh, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord. Um, and I ask, Father, for myself, that you help me to bring glory to you and serve this people as 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 I try to lead us in reading and thinking and applying your Word and that you might help all of us, Father, to be good soil so that we will hear your word and receive your word and bear fruit in our lives to your glory through hearing and receiving your word. So, Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us gently but deeply, and this we ask in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Um. I was once the model for the antichrist um i don't i don't want you to stop uh this isn't some type of dramatic conversion story uh but it was when i was uh in my in my uh, 20s and i was uh i went to 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 church this one sunday and um so i was a visitor in the church and i didn't realize that i didn't know much about the church i was just going to go to church on a sunday morning and uh, they were having a prophecy conference with a special speaker and uh the, the speaker had a like a flip chart and he was doing drawings to illustrate things and it was a prophecy conference and i um uh, back in those days I, I used to have hair down to here and i had a big beard and i, I was dressed in a really really rumpled shirt and uh and uh and jeans and it looked like everybody in the in the church uh, looked like they could have been mormon missionaries uh, or the parents of mormon missionaries And uh, So I looked a little bit different than everybody else, and uh, I still still remember the guy up at the front, he's talking and talking, he said, we're going to drive the Antichrist, looks around, let's make him a hippie. (laughs) So he made him with long hair and a beard. I wonder where any of them are in this congregation other than me. Uh, Anyway, uh, people all moved a little bit away from me in the seats. No, I'm just making that up. I think a lot of people felt really embarrassed that he went ahead and did it. Uh, That was one of those take-no-prisoner types of churches, and that was sort of an interesting thing. Uh, I I know a fellow who uh, fervently believes that the Pope is the Antichrist, so that um, when the Pope dies, he says, well, I guess that wasn't the Pope that's going to be the Antichrist. I wonder if this next Pope uh, will be the Antichrist. And uh, and he's uh, very, very firmly convinced of that from his reading of the Bible, that the Pope uh, is the Antichrist. And um, we all know that the book of Revelation attracts uh, kooky people. Uh, It's probably before most of your times, but uh, a very, very early, uh, in terms of media sensation, serial killer uh, was a guy by the name of Charles Manson. And uh, he was completely and utterly besotted with the book of Revelation and actually put phrases from it in the blood of his victims after he and his followers butchered people in in a house and sort of wrote it, some of the things from the book of Revelation on the walls. And um, and so uh, it's a very, very controversial book. In fact, I, I was just talking uh, to a person from the congregation who said uh, that when they heard that I was going to be preaching through the book of Revelation, uh, that they were wondering if they would go to a different church for the next three or four months. Uh, because I guess in some ways... Uh, They didn't think that much good would come out of it. Um, It's a very difficult book, and, you know, one of the things, and this is going to be something that you're going to maybe learn about yourself, Um, a lot of of Christians don't read the book at all because it's just like, whoa, it's like, whoa, what on earth does that mean? And, And others read it lots and lots and lots and listen to lots of tapes on it and everything like that, and... And um, without realizing it, they always hear people who basically say the same type of way of reading the book. And, and so we believe that we're very biblical in reading the book this way. And if, if somebody reads the book or interprets it in a way that's outside of this way, then they get very upset and they, they'll end up thinking that that person, person maybe isn't taking the Bible very seriously, doesn't believe the Bible or, or whatever else. So it's, um, it, it arouses strong emotions. It's a confusing book to read, and, uh, and we're going to read it together over the next few months, uh, bit by bit. By bit, there'll be a few weeks where we take off ramps and uh, look at other texts. I mean, we're Christmas. We're you know we're going to talk about the Antichrist on Christmas Eve. Although that might be interesting to do, I don't know. Um, you know, so we'll have different off ramps. You know, so just pray for me week by week by week that as we, as a congregation, open the Bible and we're just going to look at it. We're going to begin at Revelation chapter one verse one. And week by week, we're going to go verse verse by verse throughout the Bible. We're going to study this book, which either is completely and utterly neglected and abandoned by Christians, or is um, almost like a fixation for Christians. And it seems like there's very few of us who can sort of find somewhere in between uh, where we can read the book. So uh, this week and all weeks, uh, hopefully you bring your Bibles. And uh, there's always extra Bibles up here. You're welcome to always come and and take a Bible, keep it if you want, or return it afterwards And it would be a great help to me now if we begin to see whether, in fact, the Pope is the Antichrist or whether the rapture is going to come in ten minutes and all of those other topics if you would join with me in uh, looking at Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, the book of Revelation is an easy book to find in the Bible. It's the very, very last book. Just turn to the end and there it is. And uh, let's read the first three verses. I'll read them and and you can listen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave uh, him to show to his servants And we're going to spend some time looking at these three verses which open the book, uh, which uh, introduce the whole book and the topic of the book to the reader. One of the things which is really important to remember when we read a book, the book of Revelation, is that it, in fact, was a book. (laughs) That is a book. That if you could go back in a time machine and see John as he wrote it, he probably wrote it on something like a scroll. And he would have started up here, and it was, and then he would have just, you know, he couldn't cut and paste and click and do all those things we do with the internet, to, you know, with a word today, and he would have just kept unrolling it and unrolling it and rolling it and rolling it and just keeping writing and writing and writing until he was finished. And, and so it begins a certain way, and, and the, the way it begins is very important. And here's the first thing that we have to understand about the book of Revelation. The first thing for us to understand about the book of Revelation is that Jesus reveals himself to me. Now, uh, by the way, normally when I do my notes, I I put it, Jesus reveals himself to me, so that if you're making the notes and you're reading it, then you're to take it that Jesus reveals himself to me. But in other words, to you, I try to avoid plural words often, just to try to make it so that it becomes very, very specific to you. But that's, that's how the book begins. It's going to be a book about Jesus and ultimately by Jesus. And, and that comes, it's not obvious when we read it in English, but the very, very opening uh, five words in English, the revelation of Jesus Christ, in the original language, uh, that, it could be the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revelation from Jesus Christ, or the revelation by Jesus Christ. Grammatically in the original language, all of those are completely valid possibilities. And and so I would take it that John, under the inspiration of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, after the angel speaks to him or comes to him, that John specifically wrote that type of ambiguity into the text. Not to be ambiguous, but to have something which is a very, very rich phrase which only uses a couple of words. So even though if you went back in the time machine and you were able to find John on the island of Patmos, you would see him there writing, it's his hand, the claim that John is making that the ultimate person responsible for the writing of the book is Jesus and that the topic of the book is Jesus. This is a bit of a surprise to a lot of us. We probably expected, many of us expected, it's going to begin, uh, you know, this is uh, the revelation of all the things that are going to come in the future. Uh, the revelation of the rapture and the tribulation and the millennium and and all that. And and Actually, the rapture isn't in the book of Revelation, but uh, there's going to be a whole lot of things that are going to be talked about in the the book, but the the book just says at the beginning, the way we have to understand the book, whenever we're reading it, whatever chapter we're in, is that it's, it's something that Jesus' right has ultimately caused to be written for us, and it's going to be about him. It's going to be about what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. But you see, here's one of the things. One of the things that's really struck me in my in my it's one of the things in in my summer time, sort of during the summer. It's something that really struck me in a new way. I know it's old hat for a lot of you folks, and, and you know, but a lot of times in the Christian life, you sort of forget things, and then it really comes home to you again. And one of the things that really struck me this summer is that God has an assignment. Each of us. God has an assignment for our church. And that the way that we get to know God is as we keep the assignments He gives us. And that we are to understand that the assignments that God gives us will always be assignments that are beyond our strength, beyond our wisdom, beyond our resources. And therefore, part of the way that we get to know who God is, is that as we keep the assignments, as we walk into the assignments that he gives us, we realize that we can only walk into those assignments if we get the wisdom and the strength and the resources that only he has. And, and, and so it is here that, that in the book of Revelation, it's ultimately a revelation of Jesus, from Jesus, and as we're going to see, it's about the things that Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. It, it's, a, it's about what Jesus is doing and how he changes lives. And and, uh, and and that's what the book is always going to be about, no matter what else it's talking about. And, 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 and the other thing about this, well, some of you might say, uh, George, if, uh, if Jesus is revealing it, then why on earth is it so weird? Like, are you saying that Jesus is weird? Like, why is it so weird? Now, maybe some of you, if you've never read the book, let me tell you right now, book of Revelation is weird. Okay? But, but here's the thing. I have a friend, I am not making this up. One of his hobbies is reading canon law. If I was to send him an email and say, Whoa! This denomination or this church just posted their whole canon law online and you can read it, it would be as if I gave him the best Christmas present he'd had all year. He would probably play hooky from work because he couldn't resist the temptation to go and read canon law. He's weird. Yeah, I know. If he was here in the room, he would acknowledge that he's weird, you know. Um, you know, he'd even have a Bible verse to support it. You know, God loves peculiar. You know, God's calling us to be a peculiar people. It's from the King James version of the Bible. And um, but you know, there's all sorts of different people. Some of us we love poetry. Some of us we love stories. Some of us we like law. Some of us we like I like more philosophy. And some of us, oh, philosophy, <laughs> just go to sleep. Law, sleep. But then I say, I'm going to tell you a story that have dragons. Talking birds, angel armies, seal uh, seal things, eating scrolls, birds that fly in the heavens and announce doom, and your ears pick up. Dragons? Talking birds? Strange beasts? Angel armies? Demons? Whoa! (laughs) Now we're talking. (laughs) And you see, if, if, if the Bible as a whole is always, you see, what is always about God revealing Jesus, and what, in, in the case of the Old Testament, is about what Jesus is going to do, you know, but for us, it's after the crucifixion and resurrection, it's what Jesus has done, what he's doing, and what he will do. If God wants to speak to all of us, and for those of us who just love the symbolic, You know, those of us who are more mystically inclined, or who are painters, or into theater, uh, you know, or into sculpting, or those who love fantasy novels, the book of Revelation is going to really speak to us in a very, very powerful way. Jesus will become more real to us by reading such a book. So it's not that Jesus is weird; it just is that Jesus wants to speak to all sorts of people, even those of us who just the idea of dragons is uh, is really, really fantastic. Now, there's another thing about this book is that uh, these three verses that I just read—you might not realize it—but it's actually it's um, it's it's bringing up a perpetual revolution that the Bible brings into the world, and it's going to continually talk about very, very controversial subjects. But we might not realize it. For instance. Verse 3, which I'll read again in a moment, has a lot to say about same-sex marriage ceremonies in churches and same-sex blessing ceremonies in churches. And you go, what? George, how earth are you going to get that from verse 3? I'll read it again in a moment. But, but here, here's the thing. On, on one hand, well, let's read it right now. Verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and uh, blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So here's the summary point. I, I, I did this on Friday. If I could redo it this morning, I would have done it a little bit different. But the, the, the sort of the summary point here is that Jesus promises me blessing. Jesus promises me blessing. But it needs to be a bit unpacked. Here's the thing. In the pagan world, in the time that John was writing... Uh, this, Um, uh, (laughs) there was the gods, and there was right and wrong. And the gods had, in a sense, nothing whatsoever to do with right or wrong. And right or wrong, on one level, had nothing to do with the gods. They were completely separate. And so you could know all sorts of things about the gods, but knowing things about the gods wouldn't actually tell you anything about right and wrong. And you could know all sorts of things about right and wrong, but that actually wouldn't help you to know anything about the gods. And when the gods speak to you and tell you to do something, well, what they speak to you to do and tell you to do hasn't necessarily anything to do with right or wrong. It might be I'm feeling grouchy and grumpy. Do a sacrifice. I'm feeling grouchy and grumpy. Do some heroic act. It might be that I, you know, actually you're basically nothing more than an ant to me, and I'm really really pissed off at this other god. So could you go and do something against this other god or this other goddess? And uh, and so it might be something liturgical. It might be something in terms of a sacrifice. You know, it might be something good, by the way. It, it doesn't. It's it's not always. It wasn't always evil, but. You know, when a God speaks and tells you what to do, first of all, you couldn't be at all confident that what the God wants you to do is at all connected to your blessing. Because, as far as you know, the God might be treating you like an ant, and you're just part of a little bit of a pawn because he's mad or she's mad at what some other God has done. You have no idea whether it has anything to do at all with blessing, and you have no idea at all whether it has anything to do with right or wrong. And, and it's just something you've got to do, because the gods are the gods, and we are not, and, and it's just something you have to do. And, and so the, the world described here, where in verse 3 it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There, there's, there's Jesus is speaking to us, and Jesus is saying that ultimately, I'm going to speak to you. This, this book of Revelation is a, is, is a word to you my servants, and I want you to hear the word, and I want you to keep the word, I want you to live the word, and you have to understand that all of my words are for your blessing. But here's the thing it's connected to for, um, for, um, um, for, for same-sex blessings and same-sex marriages. Maybe this is something you're familiar with, maybe it just it's going to sort of boggle your mind, but um, one of the ways that churches um, allow same-sex marriages or blessings to happen, is they say that, you know, as long as we affirm creedal things in the creed and core doctrine about God, that's something that we can't change. But things like how we live our lives are right or wrong, that's never core or creedal. Uh, We can differ on it. And so, well, I don't see same-sex blessing or marriage is happening in churches. I don't see that anywhere in the creed. Like we just read, the creed it doesn't mention it. Uh, you know, therefore, you know, we we all understand who God is. He's the Creator, and you know, you know, Jesus, you know, God of God, Light of Light, and the Holy Spirit. We all understand all that stuff, and and that's just all good about God. And then there's, oh, doesn't that sound like paganism? That's pagan. There's the God. You know all about the gods. Right and wrong are way over here. It's paganism. That's what it is. Paganism. It doesn't matter if the person claims to be an evangelical or charismatic. It's pagan. What does Jesus say? Jesus is said is saying. That my words are going to demand not that you perform certain liturgies, not that you perform heroic deeds, not that you have to wonder whether anything that I say is ultimately going to hurt you because ultimately you're just an ant and I don't care if you get squished. I am not at all like the pagan gods. I'm not at all like the pagan world. I, am, I, I, I actually speak and you can hear and I want you to hear what I say. I want to hear what you say in, the book of, I say in the book of Revelation. I want you to heed it and keep it and live it. And it's going to involve different things in ethics and how you actually live your lives in an ethical and moral way. It's going to, it's going to change what you long for, what you fear, what you need to repent of, what you're going to pray that you're able to actually keep. It's going to affect your life. and It's going to affect your life in a way that is connected to me. And Jesus is only good. God is only good. See, that's the biblical world. In the biblical world, there's God, and God is good. That's the biblical world. It's the biblical revolution. The constant revolution, whether it's into an Indian culture, or a Confucian culture, or a Buddhist culture, or a post capitalist Western culture, and all of those attempts to try to separate out morality from whom God is, in all of those, that constant human desire and drive to separate out morality from who God is and what is ultimate, in the midst of this constant drift of human life, the Bible provides this constant revolution God is good. There's not goodness in God, but God is good, and Jesus speaks so that we will hear and keep it, and in keeping it, we'll be blessed. Here's something which is very, very important for us. A couple of years ago, I was talking to a a woman. She was the head of a Christian organization, well-known Christian organization, Uh, her Uh, Her family were, uh, in fact, her family members were Anglican ministers, uh, was an Anglican minister. And, um, you know, she heard about, you know, our our stand for the gospel and for the Bible. And and she started to talk to me and she said, oh, well, you know, George, the problem is that this is such a complicated issue. And she went on and on and on for me for a few minutes about how it was complicated. And then, you know, I I, I read the book, uh, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And, you know, those of you who know me, I, I just always practice that, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, and some of you know I have a counseling degree, so, I, you know, I practice, you know, unconditional positive regard and uh, being non-judgmental and all that. No, actually, I, I don't. Um, so, I mean, actually, Nor- a lot of us would be better off if we read Norman Vincent Peale a bit. Let me tell you, some of us could take off some of our rough edges, okay? But I, I listened to her, and it was one of those things, and I said, you know, you got it completely wrong. You, you know me, I, I'm all into gray and ambiguity. I said, you got it completely wrong. The problem is that the issue is too simple and clear-cut. And you don't want to do it. <laughs> Boy, there was an awkward pause in that conversation. And it actually it ended after a couple of minutes after that. Because, you know, she, she pushed back and I said, no, 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 no. The problem is you read the Bible on this. The Bible is very clear. It doesn't give us an out. And you don't want to do it. Some of you have heard this story before. It was one of those really one of those times in my life where God just so humbled me and spoke into my life in a way that that really has, you know, hasn't changed my life as much as it, it it needs to, and I'm still working on it, but it's really changed me. And I, it's the story of I think it was in Colossians or something like that, and I was I was struggling with trying to prepare my sermon, and I was out for my run, and it was just. God just spoke to me directly, and he said, George, the reason you're having so much trouble with your sermon is that the Greek and the the, the text is really clear, and you are afraid to say it. And so you are using all of your cleverness and all of your IQ and all of your linguistic resources to try to create nuances and off-ramps and shadings and images to try to fool the congregation so they don't actually hear the clarity of the text. You know what the problem was? Those of you who have heard the story before, the problem was it said that the Bible text said that if you're outside of Jesus, you're a corpse. And I I was afraid to say it. I I wanted to nuance it and make it more relevant and all that stuff. And the second I... (laughs) The second I realized that that's what was going on, I realized I had to stand up on a Sunday morning and tell the congregation that apart from Jesus, they were a corpse. And by the way, the sermon was easy to do after that. Here's the thing that we get from this. When we hear verse 3, when we hear verse 3 and it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Here's the thing. As I walk the Jesus way, By God's grace, I obey my way to clarity. As I walk the Jesus way, by God's grace, I obey my way to clarity. I don't think my way to clarity. I'm not denying thinking, by the way. But, you know, at the end of the day, if if you sort of know what the word is saying, and you don't want to do it, you refuse to do it, you refuse to accept it, then all of your cleverness and all of your skills will just be, they'll, they'll just be spinning your wheels. We need to obey our way to clarity. We need to obey our way to clarity. I mean, you know, to the, to the man who's thinking of committing adultery on his wife or has committed adultery with his wife and now starts to tell me all about his conflicted emotions about his wife or anything like that, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is is you have to stop sleeping with the woman who's not your wife. you just—you got to stop. Well, I don't know if my needs will be met. I don't know if this. I don't know if that. Well, you know what? It, yeah. Goodness is good for you. And I, I don't know all the different ways that God's going to work in your life. I, I'm not God. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that you need to obey your way to clarity. And you have to obey your way to seeing the good things that God is going to work in your lives. Something like tithing is completely and utterly counterintuitive how is it that giving away 10% of our money could possibly be good for us? Doesn't God know how tight things are? I mean, how could that possibly be? How is it that God could possibly still meet my needs if I did something like that? Well, we can try to think it through and think it through all we want, but the bottom line is we need to obey our way to clarity. And there's so much in the Bible that just requires us to trustingly take those at least first steps of obedience as God brings clarity to our hearts and minds and lives as we try to follow what he teaches. So here's the first two things that are very, very big things about the text of the book of Revelation. The first thing is that whatever it is, whether we're reading about uh, birds that fly in the heavens announcing doom, or whether it's about weird beasts, or whether it's about a dragon, or whether it's about weird creatures bowing down before the throne of God or circling angels de- angels dancing and singing and all those other weird things, is that as we read the book, it's always about Jesus, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will do. And there's something in there for us to live. The book of Revelation is always contemporary to my life. It's not just so God will tell me things about when he, when Jesus returns, whether that's in a thousand years or in a week's time or in 50 years, there's things about that. I'm not saying there isn't, but it's not just about that. It's always about things that will affect my life, uh, day to day. A um, couple of weeks ago, I think it was my first week back from holidays. Um, uh, it was the gay, gay pride parade, and I, I have a coffee shop that I go to after the church service, and. Um, uh, on, on my way home, I treat myself to a dark roast coffee on the way home, and um, and it was right on the gay pride parade route. And um, so I, I pulled in the spot I was going to park to to go and walk and get the coffee, and there was a, a lone man standing there with a cross. And on the cross, all it said was, "Are you ready?" He looked nervous. <laughs> I had to say to myself, gosh, you've got guts. (laughs) And he just stood there, all the rainbows and all that going by. He just stood there, didn't say anything, just holding a big wooden cross. says on it, are you ready? And uh, that's a really, really hard thing to do. We can all debate later on whether it's the right thing to do or not, but... You know, whether it's the, the wisest thing to do, we can, we can have honest debate about that. Maybe we have to obey our way to clarity on this one, by the way, friends. Um, I'll just tell you one other story. I can't remember now what the issue is. It might have been about the very, very first steps towards uh, same-sex marriages, but it might have been something to do with abortion. I'd only been in this church about a, two years or something like this. Um, when I came to this church, people didn't want me as their pastor, um, there was compl- lots of complaints about me. It, it uh, wasn't a church which was used to having the Bible preached on Sunday mornings and, and and inviting people to give their lives to Jesus. And and somebody called me on a Friday and said, George, you've got to call. It's like it was a bit of a phone turn. You've got to call your congregation to pray on Sunday. This issue is going to be, it's being snuck in. It's going to be debated in the house on, on Monday or Tuesday, and we're trying to mobilize Christians to pray and I have to confess, I am, not, I am embarrassed about this, but I have to confess, the first thing that went through my mind is, I wish they told me about this after Sunday. Because now I'm stuck. If I'd read about it in the paper on Wednesday, I could, oh, you know, those bad politicians, and oh, you know, if I had known, I would have done something, and oh, blah, 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 blah. But the second I knew, I knew I could not evade my responsibility. It was, I, I, you know, I, it was sleepless. I'm, I'm not saying that obeying our way to clarity is an easy thing to do. I'm just saying it's the biblical way to do it. It's what Jesus is telling us to do. He's telling us to hear the words and to keep them. And as we keep them, God will bless us. That's what it's telling us. So here's the thing back to the, the, the guy, the lone guy on the parade route for the Gay Pride Parade, standing holding a big wooden cross like this with on it, Are you ready? We're honest. When we look at the world, it looks like there's all sorts of things going on in the world which are way too big for us to do anything about that are just overwhelming us. Like, if we're honest, there's a whole pile of things like tsunamis which are just coming in overwhelming us. It struck me lately how many modern create praise choruses make references to chaos in it. It shows that for many of us Christians, we have this sense of something engulfing us, which is not Christian, which is causing problems. And, and so, if we're honest, you know, whether it's you know, you know, whether it's this juggernaut that seems to want to allow legalized um, doctors to to put people to death legally, you know, or, or all these other things, and then you can pick your you know, you know, your your own favorite one, or the, mon- the the march of global capitalism, or the 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 March of Islam, or, you know, just, you take your pick. I mean, maybe if we went out and had coffee or something afterwards, we'd all have, maybe we'd have some common things which are overwhelming, and and maybe we'd have different ones that maybe reflect our political beliefs or something like that, but it's a very, very common sense that things are overwhelming us, that there are all these big things going on in our culture. And, And I don't know if that's... Worse now than it was 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 80 years ago or 90 years ago. I can't remember 30 years ago very well. I mean, I was alive and everything, but I can't remember that very well. I'm probably going to get my memories all mixed up. And every age think they're different than other ages, just like every age think that the young people are slackers and will never amount to anything. You know, those who are 10 years old now, they're going to say that about their own kids or grandkids. I mean, that's just a common human problem. And so there's this con- That's true, right? Come on, all you boomers, right? Okay, you know, there's other, you know, anyway. So, um, and those people who've been stuck with boomers as parents. um, We have this view that there's all these overwhelming, looming things. And if there's one other thing for us to get out of the book of, of Revelation as we go into it in the week by week by week, and as we remember week by week by week, there's always about Jesus. It's always about what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. And it's always there's going to always be something in here that we can keep, that we can obey. It's going to speak into our lives. And one of the things that's going to speak into our lives is this. Jesus is big and people are small and in him there are no little people. Jesus is big and people are small and in him there are no little people. Turn and look at verses 4 to 8. If we don't get this week by week by week, that the book of Revelation is not talking about images that give us insight into our, sight, into our unconscious. It's not just talking about, um, it's not just metaphors for social pro- processes. It's not just political code to encourage us under oppression. It's, it's, it is talking about immensities. It is talking about the living God. It is talking about the redemption of the human race. It is talking about things that shake and shape the planet and the stars and the cosmos. It's talking about angels and Jesus dying and God taking little tiny people like us and fitting us for heaven. It's talking about immensities. And God knows that we spend our days thinking that those involved in capitalism or those involved in socialism or those involved in Islam or those involved in in this movement, that they're really big and we all feel like we're little, tiny, itsy-bitsy people and the book of Revelation is all about Jesus is big. And people are small. But in Him, by God's grace, there are no little people. There are no little people. I'm not I'm talking not, I'm not, about leprechauns, okay? There, there, I don't think there are leprechauns, by the way, okay? Hobbits didn't sort of survive whatever happened with the big people winning. And now, anyway, there are, you know, in, in a world where people are big and God is small, the world is filled with little people. But in the world where God is big, Jesus is big, and people are small. It's to change how we look. We are not to read and understand events from the perspective that people are big and God is small, but that Jesus is big and people are small, but there are no little people. Listen to what verses 4 to 8 say. And it's going to be all the way through the book of, part of the reason it uses dragons and beasts and angels and scrolls and And a third of the earth dying and blood this high and going that far. It's giving us big, giant images so that we will get that Jesus is big. (laughs) Listen to verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him. How's he going to refer to God? Who is and who was and who is to come. Who is and who was and who is to come. Who's the true and living God? The true and living God is the one who's always been, who's here right now, who always will be. And capitalists or socialists or Islamofascists <laughs> or pick your group, we can shake our hands and do whatever we want, but God has always been, is here right now, and always will be. Way bigger than time. Way, I will come and go. All those other movements will come and go. God is the one who is and who was and will be. And the seven, from, the, from the seven spirits who were before the, his throne, I'm going to talk about this next week more, but that's actually a, just a, a poetic way of referring to the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. What's that saying? Jesus has died on the cross. He's died as a substitute for ordinary people. He's risen from the dead, and he's now the firstborn of the dead. It means that when we get in him, we are part of a new humanity that has a completely different, now, origin. It's not that my origin, that I'm determined by by the, the genetics of my mom. I'm not determined by my caste. I'm not determined by my social class. I'm not determined, you know, by by my sexuality, I am, not, I, am not, I am not determined my true origins isn't that I was born in, in Canada or that I had the child of Irish immigrants, is that when we get into Jesus, there is a completely new identity and, and destiny, which is now mine because Jesus is the firstborn. He is the firstborn. And that means, it implies that there's others who are born after him and that I am now part of when I get in Him that what happens is I am now in that lineage of the firstborn of the dead. That death no longer has dominion over me. That death is no longer the final word about me. That it is not the primary descriptor of me. That the primary descriptor of me is is now going to come from Jesus who gives me a new beginning and a new destiny and that that destiny is absolutely secure. And that this is not just for me. This is for an untouchable in, in. This is for an untouchable in India. This is for the person who lives in the worst slum of, of uh, the, the, the worst part of the worst slum in Kenya. This is for the person who. This is for the person who is living in Syria and that every single side keeps kicking them. This is for the rich. This is for those who are same-sex attracted. This is for soccer moms. This is this is a new identity, a new way of living, and a new destiny. It comes from being in Jesus. See, that's why, I'm going to keep reading this a second, that's why when Jesus is big and people are small, there are no little people. The worst handicapped person, the person with the worst Alzheimer's, that's what they're now enduring. But they are, if they have actually come into a relationship with Jesus and they are in Jesus and he is in them, they are now of the lineage and the life of the firstborn of the dead. And that's their destiny. And that's their ultimate identity. And the ruler of the kings on earth... We'll verse 5 again. And from Jesus Christ, who is Jesus? He's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. The ruler of socialism, socialist leaders, capitalist leaders, gay pride leaders, those who don't like gay pride, take your politics. I don't want to be left or right in this. (laughs) It's not a left-wing sermon. It's not a right-wing sermon. It's a Jesus sermon. Left and right, they'll all ultimately have to do this. Left and right are political categories, not Jesus categories. And the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us, And has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom, a kingly people, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Jesus died to save, he lives to rule, and he will certainly come again. Jesus died to save, lives to rule, and will certainly come again. And week by week, as we go through the book of Revelation, it's always going to be about Jesus. It's always going to be about the fact that he died, that he lives to rule, that he's going to come again. And it's always going to be a present word to us that invites us to obey. And as we listen and obey, he will bless. Please stand. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, you know, uh, even now that some of us here, maybe, I mean, all of us in some way, Father, but some of us maybe are mightily struggling with an area in our lives of obedience. Father, you know that there are some people here, even now, that the Holy Spirit is moving in their lives and moving in their hearts, moving in our lives and our hearts about a particular area of obedience. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would gently but deeply come upon those of us at this time, that you would help us, Father, to trust the word of Jesus and that you ultimately will bless us if we keep your word. Maybe it's about forgiving something for the past. Maybe it's about taking a step of faith. Maybe, Father, it's about resisting some temptation. Maybe it's about making some sacrifice to take a step in the future. Father, you know what it is. You know, that you know the word that you've spoken into our lives. And we just ask, Father, we give you permission, we encourage you, Father, to bring the convicting power of your Holy Spirit to bear in our lives. that We might hear what it is that you are leading us to do that we might have the courage to obey and the understanding that you will bless. And all this we ask in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen.